there is something about working with materials that have history, like they have a life already in them. They're not fabrics that I buy fresh from like the crafts or the Joanne fabrics. So if they're thrifted fabrics, if they're clothing I used to wear, if it's from old artwork, I think this piece that you pointed out between here and there even has fabric I worked on in high school. You know, it's when I look at that, it is the history, the memory and the history. Um, it's how do you make something out of this? I think that memory and that history gives it another level of that intimacy that, you know, that human aspect that we were talking about it. If I just bought clean new fabric off of the shelf of Joanne fabric, it wouldn't have the same feelings that it does when I use fabric from 10, 20, 30 years ago. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 283rd episode, I'm super excited to be joined by Erin Castellan, who spoke with me from Spruce Pine, North Carolina. That's where she currently lives and makes all sorts of amazing paintings. We talk all about that coming up. As you just heard, again, they incorporate fabric that is reused, repurposed from her life. And again, there are very subtle explorations of some of these materials, very minimal kind of staining and subtle color combinations, repeated shapes, and of course, all sorts of techniques where she's sewing and you know incorporating beadwork and embroidery. And of course, we break all of that down in the episode coming up. Aaron was selected as one of our 2021 Pro Competition winners by Erica Behest of I Like Your Work podcast. So we're super excited to feature her in today's episode. We also want to note that Erin has an exhibition called Weaving Small Nets to Capture Life at Tracy Morgan Gallery, and that runs through December 23rd. You can find a link on Studio Break for exhibition information. Be sure to check it out. You can also follow on Instagram at AaronCastellan underscore studio, and of course, be sure to check out her website, AaronCastellan.com. I'm super excited to announce that our 2022 pro competition is now open. Our juror this year is Jason Franz of Manifest. And if you're familiar with Manifest, Manifest Gallery, as well as Drawing Center, they have artist residencies, fantastic exhibitions, and Jason is the executive director and chief curator there. So we're very excited that he'll be selecting five artists to appear on an upcoming episode of Studio Break and to be featured on the website. In addition to that, one artist will be selected for a solo exhibition two artists will be selected for a two-person exhibition. The competition's open to all professional working artists. That includes emerging, mid-career, established, and outsider artists. I would note students, you should apply to the spring competition. But other than that, it's open in terms of media. So once again, if you want details on how to apply, head to studiobreak.com, look for the competition page, and you can find all the information there. It's really easy to apply. You submit a small fee, send an email with your website portfolio slash Instagram, and you are done. So once again, deadline is December 31st. Please get those apps in, and of course, help spread the word if you would be so kind. If you just find Studio Break for the first time, head on over to studiobreak.com. We've got a bunch of different artists featured there, again, each of which have images of their artist's work, links to their websites. You can listen right there, or you can subscribe to the podcast, listen on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can follow us, so be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter, at Studio Break. And of course, be sure to say hello on Instagram, at Studio underscore Break. With those announcements, let's dive right into this interview with Aaron Castellan. Stay tuned. 
Welcome to Studio Break, Aaron Castellan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah, so excited to have you on. I know we were just talking. It's been a long time since you applied to the Studio Break competition, as you were saying, pandemic times. Uh, but, you know, super excited that Erica B. has picked your work and, you know, really excited to, to talk to you today about it. So, again, thanks for doing this and applying. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. To talk to another artist. <laughs> yeah, again, we were just talking about it. It's almost like this isolated uh, prison cell environment where, you know, you're kind of getting these stimuli as you're working away in the studio. So where are you located currently? <laughs> yes, I'm currently in my little studio space in downtown Spruce Pine, North Carolina. It's in western North Carolina, about an hour north of Asheville. Okay, okay. And did you- You've heard of- Penland School of Craft. A lot of craftspeople know of that place. It's right near there. So. Awesome. And and did you grow up on the East Coast? Is that kind of like the area that you're from? Yeah, I grew up in West Virginia, so a little bit north of here, but still Appalachia. So I think part of what drew me to Western North Carolina is that the mountains and the feeling of home, and yet there's a lot of arts and culture in this little mountain town. Yeah, absolutely. Having having recently driven to West Virginia to go whitewater rafting, um, oh yeah, the 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 landscape is just incredible. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm assuming that's something that again has sparked your interest as a as an early age. I can't imagine how you could grow up out in that area and not be somebody that's an outdoors person. Yeah, I definitely love hiking and getting outdoors as much as possible. I wouldn't say I'm a whitewater rafter. That's a little <laughs> bit more, sure. more than I want to bite <laughs> off. But uh, I do love like hiking for miles and miles. Nice, nice. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious always, you know, what type of things were you kind of into when you were younger? Were you somebody that was like making a lot of work and... Like, and when I say that, I mean, like, again, there's kind of like the, um, an element where I could imagine some sort of craft kind of thing, but then also, you know, you're, you're a painter too. So, I mean, I would imagine you might've been doing a lot of different stuff, but I have no idea. So. Yeah, I was always a creative child. I think painting and drawing was my first love, but my mother was a fiber artist. And so it's interesting how now that has really combined in my work. And we can get into that, I'm sure, as we oh, continue. Sure. But as a child, just running around the woods with my sister and two best friends that live next door and being creative and inventing things was probably how I spent most of my days. And I would imagine your mom then could just kind of like dump all sorts of odds and ends materials in your lap and just be like, make something. I'm going to go do stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, I feel like we were always making something. And yet... It was never like pressure. I never thought I would be an artist until mm-hmm. much later in life. Um, probably junior high, high school, I started getting more serious about it. But. Okay. So no real like kind of like formal training. It was more just kind of like encouraged to be creative. and. Yeah, I took art classes in school, you know, public education. Okay. And I did have the luxury of growing up in a university, like a college town mm-hmm. uh, in West Virginia. And so there were weekend like Saturday morning art classes for kids that I would participate in that I think looking back on it the college students probably taught um and I loved those classes because we did you know much larger and more I don't know experimental projects than you would in the public school system but so I, I think living in that university town definitely affected my ability to get connected to the arts and was that something that was on the radar then in terms of like, I need to do something art related or were you kind of interested in education or 
something practical or (laughs) as far as like what I was going to study. Yeah. I'm always interested in that decision at some point. Cause I feel like, you know, like when I was young, it's, and I probably said this 800 times, but you know, like I was just into like science fiction movies and special effects. So it's like, Oh, that's what art people do. And then you get to college and then, you know, your world changes or maybe there's another experience. Um, But was there anything like that kind of guided you towards that? Well, I did in high school, um, the Governor's School for the Arts, which is a statewide program. I think it was three weeks and it's completely free Mm -hmm. if you get in. And so that really kind of changed my trajectory as far as like wanting to go to art school. And before I just I didn't think I would be studying art mm-hmm. in college. I thought it was just like a side hobby. But having that experience and meeting other artists and makers of a certain level and seeing that it was an option kind mm-hmm. of led me to apply for going to art school. And, you know, I, I think I was still thinking about the career and the job and um, ended up studying textile design because of that rather than painting. But yeah, I mean, I think... Everyone has that. What am I going to do with a painting degree? Sure, moment? sure. <laughs> well, and, so. and obviously, like, again, so you went to RISD. I did, yeah. How did that come about? Did you have to, like, go out and visit a bunch of colleges? Or was it just something where maybe somebody was like, oh, this is a fantastic place to go? Yeah. I mean, again, it's kind of a weird thing coming from West Virginia. In retrospect, having met a lot of artists at RISD and beyond, I realized that my childhood wasn't as connected with the contemporary art world. My parents aren't creatives. They did expose me to all the culture at the university, but they had lived in Providence, Rhode Island, where RISD is when they were first married. And so when I was just this high schooler interested in art, they were like, hey, we don't know much about it, but there's this art school where we used to live that was pretty good. You should look into it. And so I kind of came about it like, naively in a lot of ways and in retrospect I have met and talked to many people who have been like that was my dream school for years and I you know I honestly didn't I don't know I don't follow that stuff maybe as much as I should or I just was unaware of it at the time and I ended up there in many ways just because my parents had lived in that town um, years before and said hey check this out kind of like you're alluding to, I feel like we all kind of find our, our path, you know, like, I mean, again, I went to, I went to Illinois State University because my brother went there and it just so right. happened to be a just killer art program. So, you know, right. it's just one <laughs> of those. Out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's so interesting too. Like, I, I don't know who I was talking about this recently, but really everywhere you go, I mean, it's so, so competitive that the, the faculty pretty much everywhere, I think are going to be pretty pretty top notch for the most part Mm -hmm. you know at least there's that one person that's gonna push you make you you know kind of work harder and question everything and and all Mm -hmm. of that good stuff um Mm -hmm. so kind of going into that experience then were you kind of thinking about it as I don't know something then you're where you're kind of like okay obviously I'm gonna I'm gonna do something fine arts related or did you have it like kind of narrowed down at all or you just kind of open book and I'm just gonna take this all in I would say I was an open book when I went there as a freshman, though I did have the sense of needing to find a career mm-hmm. and RISD being a design school. There were many majors that offered that opportunity. And so I guess I felt the pressure to sign up for one of those majors, you know, whether it was going to be graphic design or textile design or illustration, you know, something where there was a career path. Mm-hmm. I decided on textiles, maybe because I was familiar with fibers from my mother. But honestly, 
she was a much more traditional weaver, dyer, spinner, and the textiles program at RISD was much more about invention and material exploration and just what can you do with this stuff in a, in the kind of a wild way that really appealed to my fine art mind. And so I ended up doing that program thinking I could do both, you know, like thinking I could graduate with this portfolio that would get me a job mm -hmm. but still have the time and space to explore materials in creative ways and I honestly don't know where I would have ended up had I not done I did a junior year study abroad in Italy mm -hmm. and that took me away from all of the technical things within the textiles design program so I didn't have access to looms I didn't have access to digital labs and I was sharing a studio with two painters and um, I started really doing the embroidered paintings at that time and very different from what I'm doing now but I think that year abroad where I was traveling and surrounded by mostly fine artists and not designers really changed the trajectory of what I became after that four-year program so yeah well it's it's interesting too because i mean you think about something like you know textile design i would imagine that's something that is disappearing from a lot of campuses and universities and you know to kind of have this kind of tradition or kind of like i don't know just a, a something that's that's going to be lost i guess i don't know it's it's weird because i also think about it in the context of today where the hand, the idea of something handmade is so important but i love that idea of also kind of like thinking about the way that you could kind of experiment with it. Um, and certainly that's something that I would think most people kind of talk to about your work in terms of mm -hmm. the different materials and, and approaches and things. Um, but I'm, you know, really kind of curious, like even like say around that junior-esque year. <laughs> I was very much a weaver in college. Like I would spend hours at the loom. And when I say a weaver, not in the traditional sense, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm surrounded by traditional crafts here in the mountains of Western North Carolina and my childhood um, experience in West Virginia. But uh, weaving at RISD was different in that I feel like my first weaving assignment was encouraging us to make substances in the way, like we weren't told to make cloth. We were told to put whatever you wanted into that loom mm -hmm. and make a substance. So like how many different sensory experiences could you invent with just a plain weave warp and 10 inches wide like coming out of that but not having access to the looms in my junior year I was still working with a lot of materials and um, experimental processes you know I was doing oil painting that year I also I mentioned I started doing some small embroidered paintings that year mm -hmm. I was very much involved with tying hundreds of small stones and rusty nails into nylon stocking material um, and creating these organic, strange um, sculptural things that were kind of of nature. You know, they were made out of um, very common materials, but they kind of also transcended that and became something really curious and unknown. And I think all of that, I can see it all in my current work as far as um, different influences and uh, material exploration still, but also that desire to have those like material surprises and like, what is this? What is it made out of? How sure. is it, you know? So I was all, all over the place in a lot of ways. Well, and I was going to imagine just like the technical side of it's got to be something that's, you know, important to kind of like learn how to 
you know, figure out how to use all these different materials or to kind of introduce a new variable, which, you know, you're like, how do I solve this? Because this isn't working. And then there's kind of like something to, I don't know, to kind of dial in so that I'm assuming you have like then this giant vocabulary of like a visual language then where you can try out these different materials or like, I know exactly how I want to use this and bring it together with that. Yeah. And I find that an interesting thing, the technical aspect, because I think in college, I was very much learning all the technical aspects, the how to, Mm -hmm. this is how you thread a loom, etc. My approach in the studio, that junior year and beyond is very much, I always refer to it as kind of the mad scientist of like, no one is telling me how to do X, Mm -hmm. I am going to figure out how to do X, I'm just going to have this like, aha, uh-huh, what happens if I put these two things together? And what, like, there is no right or wrong. It's just part of the journey or the, the process of getting to something. And so there's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of um, what ifs. I don't see anything as wrong. And I, I've taught some in my, you know, mm-hmm. later years after graduate school too. And I you know, have taught workshops at craft schools. And I think there is always that student who wants you to tell them like, this is how to do it. And my way of teaching is always like, you need to find out how you work and like really showing the students how to find their voice and how to work with materials and processes in unique individual ways, because that's very much, I'm, I'm always like generous. I'm like, well, I can show you how I do it, but no one taught me how to do it. I just do it by doing and doing and doing a lot of repetition, a lot of quote failures, but then the failures become something beautiful and wonderful in another piece or you know they lead you to something else so there's nothing no regrets there it's (laughs) absolutely and and so then was this kind of like you know like pretty traditional that like you had a a senior show or a thesis of some kind I did have a senior show in undergrad and I came back from that junior year and I still finished all my weaving requirements but the work that I did for the thesis show were large-scale works on cotton fabric painted with acrylic washes and was doing a lot of photo transfers at the time, which I've moved away from, Mm -hmm. but an embroidery. And so the acrylic washes and the embroidery were very much there in the work from my undergraduate thesis show. As somebody that doesn't know necessarily the process, certainly, like, are you then kind of like starting by putting together this like ground or like a framework to kind of then work over to stain, to paint, to do image transfers and things like that? I was just taking at the time yardage, like cotton yardage and um, pinning it or stapling it up to a studio wall. Um, So it was unstretched Mm -hmm. and watered down acrylic paints, um, doing washes of color and marks and then responding to those with embroidery. So with the photo transfers that I was doing at the time, and it feels strange to like go back there and talk about that. But yeah, I think, you know, digital cameras and smartphones weren't around. This was mm-hmm. 2001, 2002 era. And I was just enamored with the scanner mm-hmm. <laughs> access to like, so I would do all these weird material explorations with textiles. And then I would scan them on a flatbed scanner and then transfer those images of, you know, the material explorations onto this fabric. So it was a weird combination of um, like, what is reality? What is actual mm-hmm. material? What is photographic imagery what is painted imagery so all of that kind of came together in those works but I look back at that body of work and I see again this 
thread of continuation. Like I am still doing embroidered paintings to this day and mm -hmm. I've done a million things in between, but I come back to that kind of process. I'm assuming then there's a bit that's, you know, going on between your, your undergraduate and graduate school experience. What, what kind of things did you do afterwards? Cause yeah, I took 10 years off. So I think that's unusual for a lot of people, but I, I went back to graduate school when I was 30, mm -hmm. 32, I graduated from graduate school. So I was living and working in Philadelphia for most of that time, surrounded by artists, had a studio warehouse, biked around the city all the time. It was just a very, I don't know, it felt free. Like looking back on it, it felt really free. Mm -hmm. And and I'm assuming I'm assuming that you're like kind of like showing and, and just trying to maintain a studio practice. and Yeah, I was working full time, but I was working at an art school, the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. So all of my best friends were the students there. And... I would bike to work and hang out with my friends in the art supply store and, <laughs> you know, had amazing bosses. And as long as you could get the work done and serve the customer first, I could stitch and embroider in between, like during slow times. Mm -hmm. And it gave me access to um, studios and free classes, continuing ed classes. And it was just the best time. It was almost like continuing my undergrad, but getting paid. I mean, minimum wage kind of pay but <laughs> sure. getting paid to do it and so maintaining that studio practice building that network of creative friends and exhibiting in um, spaces in philly um it was a fun time looking back on it i think it's just such an important time and again i didn't t i took two years off but like there were there was still like a transition of like you know like trying to figure your way out and how to how to keep doing this because again it's certainly kind of like the big struggle even you know certainly to current times because everybody mm -hmm. kind of has these lives that continuously just get more and more busy and you know with responsibilities and so kind of figuring out a time to carve away uh to do that you know it, it might yeah it totally might be like hey i've got 20 minutes to start working on this in between something and if i you know keep doing that enough i know it'll turn into a piece right and i think that's what um textiles more than oil painting has given me like i love oil painting and i miss it dearly but when i'm working full-time or have other responsibilities the embroidery is something i can pick up and put down mm -hmm. in between. Um, so it, it's a studio practice that fits in the cracks in a lot of ways, and it accumulates over months, years, pieces there. And I think that's primarily what I was doing in those years in Philly is I would bike to my warehouse studio in the morning and oil paint for two hours, and then I would go to work. And my work shift was maybe 11 to seven and hang out with my friends and stitch in between customers on smaller, um, I was doing a lot of embroidered monoprints. So mm -hmm. I would do printmaking at the studios where I worked in the evenings, and then I would stitch on them during the days in between customers. And that was my life for, I think, five or six years. I met amazing friends and professors at that school. And one particular professor, I would just remember, he kind of took me under his wing and he was like, what are you doing, you know, Wednesday mornings? And so he invited me to participate for free in the post-bac seminar classes that he was running because we had built up a relationship and had conversations in the art supply store. And that really changed my life in the way of started thinking about graduate school, started thinking about what do I want to do? You know, he was giving us readings and we were having conversations and it was so much more enlivening. Mm -hmm intellectually then I you know I'd been kind of just like going through my days and I realized I missed that 
kind of intellectual thinking and conversations. And that's kind of what spurred me to say, what am I doing with my life? And a lot of my friends at the time had graduated from the school. And, you know, it, it was a different thing when you start just getting older and all the students are staying younger and um sure <laughs> yeah but I'm forever grateful for him for inviting me into that post back seminar because I don't know maybe I would have just been stitching at an art supply store for the rest of my life <laughs> but, which sounds kind of sad thinking back on it but like it was good for the time tell us a little bit about what that that experience was like because you know I don't know if that's like seminars or like you had to do work or it was definitely um, seminar focused for me. The post-bac program combines studio and seminar, but because I wasn't in the program and I wasn't paying for it, he just invited me to come hang out with them during the seminar portion. Mm -hmm. And my memory of it is we did readings and some writing every week, and then we would come together and have conversation weekly for, I don't know, an hour, two hours. Mm -hmm. can't remember at this point and you know every now and again we would bring in a little object to show and tell and talk about but it was mostly talking about contemporary art and ideas and visual culture in general and just exposed me to a different level of conversation because I you know I think looking back on it in undergrad even it was such a design program it was more about technical this is how you weave this is how you print on fabric and this was more of a fine art conversation that I think I had missed out on mm -hmm. in my design program. It was just a different different type of conversation that I was craving at the time. Well, and I'm assuming just the conversations that you would have with other people in that same position, they're kind of figuring out the same types of things and going like, maybe I'm going to go back and get a degree and, and kind of continue these studies is, I'm assuming, what happened? Yeah, I think a lot of people in that program were transitioning either into the MFA program at that particular school, the Pennsylvania Academy, or universities and colleges nearby. You know, I think I had hit a point where I was done with Philly. Like, again, I loved it at the time, yet I loved the outdoors more, mm -hmm. <laughs> and more, you know? And so, like, living in that super urban environment was exhausting for me, and I craved trees and nature and... Um, I ended up moving out to Bloomington, Indiana for graduate school, spent two years there. And that transition out of the giant city to more of a college town with idyllic, you know, settings and um, it's a little bit more slower paced, didn't have to stress about my bike getting stolen, or et cetera, <laughs> you know. Well, and, and to kind of have, you know, this experience where you're kind of making work with, you know, other artists and, you know, certainly in a community. But what, what kind of things kind of changed, I guess, in terms of, you know, going then to this MFA program? Because, you know, I would imagine then you've got this goal of like elevating your work to, to a different level or there's something in it that's, you know, you really want to push yourself to make it more fulfilling. But, you know, maybe talk a little about some of those things that you were doing there that kind of elevated it. I think in graduate school, it was the painting program and Indiana University is mm -hmm. quite traditional meaning they have mostly oil painters, mm -hmm. oil painting on canvas and wood panel. And I applied with a portfolio of embroidered monoprints on paper. And so a little bit of a like, oh, what am I going to do? I was still oil painting in Philly. But I think when I got surrounded by all of those serious painters with a capital P, as I call them, <laughs> I did do a lot of oil painting that first year in graduate school. And I loved it. And there's a couple paintings I still to this day love. But ultimately, 
that summer in between first year and second year, I started doing a lot of material explorations with fabrics, uh, large scale, like 10 foot by 10 foot um, pieces, doing large pours of wall paint onto burlap and other substances, making organically shaped pieces. So they weren't stretched canvases. Um, they were water media, you know, latex paint, acrylic paint. Because the surface was more tactile, starting to manipulate it in different ways, embroidering it. I look back on graduate school in a lot of ways as this two-year residency. Mm -hmm. um, it was a way to get me out of Philadelphia. I was making more money in graduate school as a teaching assistant, you know, teaching the undergrads than I was working 40 hours a week at the art supply store in Philly. Mm -hmm. And so I had a lot more time and space to just focus in the studio in a good way. And I think because I was a little bit older than some of my peers, I also wasn't as stressed about what other people thought. I mean, I, of course I wanted that conversation and I cared, but I remember some of my younger peers like really wanting to please the professors. And I was just really wanting to figure my own stuff out in the sense of like what am I about what is this way of working that I've been doing on the periphery for decades like and I, I think that is what graduate school is about is like who are you and why are you doing it <laughs> <laughs> but that'd be the first question right <laughs> it's like this giant therapy thing um uh being a studio artist and working for a couple of years and talking about it for a couple of years was there any like particular like artists or anything that you kind of like either, you know, had through like a studio visit or even, you know, just looking at in terms of art history that were kind of like informative and thinking about where you could maybe go with your work that you hadn't seen before as you're kind of, you know, again, um, just having a, a fun lifestyle and not necessarily, you know, kind of be, you know, having this path of like, I want to do this. I say that because like, I mean, again, you'd be amazed at how fun it was to be a framer at Hobby Lobby for a couple of years. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I kind of had that, that thing where it's like, I want to figure out what, you know, like you're saying, figure out your voice or figuring out what you want to do. But were there any artists that kind of jump out to you or experiences like that, that kind of shifted it? Yeah. I don't know if there's a particular artist. I think, you know, I'm always looking at art and artwork, but I don't know how to say this without, without again, sounding <laughs> like I'm like not in that world because I am in the art world and I, you know, I just opened a show and I'm very much in the studio all the time. But I think for me, making art has always served some other part of me. Mm -hmm. Like I have had friends who have said over the years, oh, I want to be a blue chip artist. Right? You know, they have those aspirations and I'm always just like, I just want to live a happy life. Well, what does that mean? What is a happy life? I don't know, you know, <laughs> but I think it is having the time and space to be expressive, to make with my hands and to puzzle through these things. I, you know, I think for, for me, it's like I get bored with other activities mm -hmm. and I never get bored making art. And I don't know how to say it other than like, what would I do if I <laughs> weren't making art and it's not because I'm like trying to reach this level of fame or financial mm -hmm. success with my work it's more there's like a problem to solve when you're making art it's like doing a crossword puzzle or sure. playing scrabble there's like there's a million little pieces and how do they fit together and 
you know, reach that final thing. And so for me, it's more about the chase or the hunt or the like problem solving aspect of being <laughs> in the studio. And there's no other activity that can fill my day in the same way, except for maybe being outside in nature and like having those moments of like wonder and joy and like mm -hmm. surprise. But that's what I get in the studio too. It's like, I'm constantly seeking those moments where you weren't expecting something to happen and then it does. So I know this is a long roundabout oh, way no. of saying like, <laughs> no. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I have those same aspirations. Like I remember in graduate school, you know, we had to of course like pick out artists and things, but everyone was talking about like when they visited New York City, what their favorite galleries or spots to right. visit. And I had just come from six years of Philly and I did go up to New York quite a bit. But I said, well, my favorite spot to visit was like Dead Horse Bay, which was this, you know, landfill from decades ago <laughs> where you would comb the beach for like you know rusty old objects and spoons and I don't know ceramics that were weathered with time and life and and so there's always been that like aspect I am an artist and I'm in that field and that world but I feel like I don't always fit in with the same like you know desires or goals and as you kind of describe though i mean like again you can't really find happiness if you're just trying to please you know somebody in terms of what you think they want to see yeah and i don't think that's sustaining either and and i'm curious then to kind of think about that experience then you know so again you're kind of pretty driven um but then like are you kind of then doing all of these things um you know in terms of like isolating materials or are they all kind of combined so that you're doing you know, like painting, you know, like on traditional materials like canvas and then kind of embroidering and adding other elements and then also doing the monoprints and then also doing like the shaped canvases and, and fabric kind of works. Yeah, I've always had my hands in a lot of different pots and at times it'll be maybe months will pass before I do one of those mm -hmm processes but then I always come back to it like there have been times in my life where I've said oh I should just get rid of these oil paints I'm never going to oil paint again and then I'll give myself that luxury or that pleasure and I'm just like what was I thinking I need this you know <laughs> sure and I think the same with the embroidered monoprints I think a lot of times it depends on how much access I have to a print studio but it seems like whenever I do get access I just print a whole bunch of stuff and then I have that surface or that material and the embroidery takes time so you know it, it, again I'll pick it up maybe and do one or two and then months will pass and I won't but I am a little bit all spread out throughout the various media but I think the imagery the color and the ideas are the same like across all media and that's something that I've struggled with as an artist, I think growing up and seeing like there's a like that desire to please other people or to have that product, you know, mm -hmm. in quotes, like everyone wants to see this uh, really perfect product or know what you're about. And I, I can see the thread throughout all the different media that I work in, but it's not always as uniform as I feel like it should be to please other people. And yet I don't. <laughs> You know, I don't want to do that. I, I want to like wake up one day and say, what do I feel like doing today and do it? And <laughs> I think that's where the creative energy lies. And um, 
I think this past year getting ready for this solar exhibit has been a little bit different because I have been driven by, I need to have final products in a year. And, and so I am so excited. Like I have taken a week or two off now, from, but I'm so excited <laughs> to see what happens in the coming year, you know, when I don't have that deadline hanging over me, when I can go back to, what do I feel like doing? Do I want to do this today or do I want to do that? And um, it all informs each other and it builds on each other. I, I haven't woven in years yet. Weaving is still very much a part of how I make images in that, you know, colors and shapes appear woven together. And all of those things cycle through and they're all related. Well, and I would imagine then a lot of the processes and, and things that you kind of worked on then you know, have just kind of continually then evolved. You know, I know that you've, you know, in a similar way to, you know, kind of exploring a lot of different materials, you know, you kind of made reference to this earlier, kind of like teaching workshops, doing residencies, mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. of those experience kind of following afterwards have just kind of continually refined this process that you've been doing to kind of create these, these works and developing this language. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I don't know, to kind of break that down even a little bit further then, you know, like, um, what types of things then would you say you're kind of currently thinking about in your work? Because again, when I when I saw uh, Bloomington in there, I immediately just go like figurative painters, right? And I just started thinking like there's this weird organ like quality, almost like as there are like interior landscapes in the way that I started thinking about them. Again, this is the part that I was alluding to that I don't know if it's going to be anywhere close, but no, I love that because I think um, I am not a figure painter, you know, sure. but you're right. I was surrounded by a lot of them in Bloomington. Mm -hmm. But I think the current work and probably if I really look back at all of my work, it has been about, and about is a strong, I don't know, how, language is weird sometimes, um, <laughs> verbalizing things. I'm such a visual person, but, but sensation and intimacy and connection. And yes, there have been things that have been like, obvious like bodily or organ like over the years and I like that idea of internal landscape because I do very much think about memory and how I'm combining different memories from the past with my current emotional states or even materials from the past with current processes a lot of the materials that I combine you know it might be something that I made or experimented with 10, 20 years ago, and I am bringing it back and transforming it into something else in my current work. But yes, the internal landscapes, the organs, I think that's all valid because it, it, there's something about the intimacy and connection, you know, stitching and embroidery and beading. Textiles in general are very much a felt thing. Mm -hmm. And the time I spend with each piece, I think that like human embodiment of, you know, you see the labor of the artist, myself, my hand working with it. And there's that love and that care there. And I think there's something that translates to the viewer. So yes, I'll take it. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and I guess I'm curious, you know, like I've always try to, you know, talk about some specific pieces. And I think, you know, one that kind of commands attention is, you know, one that's on your splash page essentially for your, for your artwork, which is the uh, keep one foot in the black. Oh yeah, which yeah. again, super lovely piece, which is why it's not available. Um, <laughs> but you know, obviously, something else worth kind of kind of noting. Obviously, there's there's tons of other work on your website, and we'll talk 
of course, about the show that you have currently going on. But, you know, maybe kind of just, you know, describe a little bit more terms like in terms of the process of something like how this comes about. Are you kind of like have a number of these kind of shaped things kind of going and then. It's just a matter of coming in and altering them as you're working. Yeah. I can't imagine that you're like drawing, for example, little maquettes of like how things are going to be. Absolutely not. Nothing is planned in advance. And I think that's part of the thing. You know, I've told people before, I I used to fill my sketchbook. I love to draw from life, but that's mm-hmm. just a separate pro- process and practice. Um, but I used to fill my sketchbook with sketches or ideas for sculptures. But then I got bored when I went to execute them, you know, but I never get bored when I'm making what I'll call a painting, you know, even if it's like embroidered, because I don't have that plan ahead of time. I can't see what's going to happen. And so it is very much this journey through the unknown and like having faith that even after hours and hours of labor, like something will come out of it. This particular piece that you pointed out, Keep One Foot in the Black, started as another piece entirely multiple pieces entirely but things get cut apart and joined together at different times Uh, again no material is ever trash to me because I can recycle it in some ways and when I say recycle it I don't think I would totally destroy a finished piece and do it but until a piece reaches that point where I'm like aha this is it it is just raw material and so this piece and another piece on my site fight fire with fire used to be conjoined Mm -hmm. and they were cut apart and they changed dramatically it's hard to tell from the image but the the keep one foot in the black had knitted machine knitted merino wool that was felted and cut and sewn and at one point it just wasn't working color wise so i gessoed over the entire thing and then painted with that black gray color and then started embroidering with the bright colors into that material and so the same material exists in, in a couple other pieces because it was a large thing that got cut up several mm-hmm. times and one is flipped upside down and the other is right side up. And I can follow that path. And I wish I was better at documenting processes, you know, to see like the before and the after. But there is something magic that happens in that transformation. But again, it's it's like nothing is precious until it is, you know, it's it, everything is just the raw material. And sometimes there's hundreds of hours of labor in a piece mm-hmm. but if it's not working it's not working and don't be afraid to cover the whole thing with gesso and you know, <laughs> <Sure>. paint and <laughs> stitch for a hundred more hours and hope that it you know works out so these are pretty time and labor intensive oh yeah definitely okay. um especially anything that has beads is especially labor intensive i'll work on pieces for months sometimes and i say sometimes years because Again, I may start a piece and work on it for several months and then it's not working and I set it aside. But then months or years later, something catches my eye with it, either through the materiality or the color as it combines with something else that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. And there's that aha moment that what if these two things were joined? And then I start from there. And so many things, you know, they go through different cycles and months and years of work to get to where they are in the end yeah now, now do you have like everything neatly organized so that you can yeah <laughs> i'm, I'm kind of kidding but it's just like you start i start looking at other pieces and again hopefully this isn't too annoying but there's another one called between here and there yeah and a lot of these are, are pretty hands appropriate size i mean they're not like gigantic there's something that i start feeling like oh these could be kind of intimate 
Yeah. But the reason that I was asking him that, you know, because I think, you know, the formal qualities, the colors especially are very rich most of the mm-hmm. time. And so I'm just trying to figure out that process of like how you would then, you know, like you're walking around and like some little scrap of something is over here and you're like, oh, that's got to go over into this piece. Yeah. So it's more like something's going bad in the fridge. And <laughs> <laughs> you need to like cook with it right away or, it's, or you're going to lose it. So like this piece between here and there, I can see it. Like there's some experiments I did in 2002, mm-hmm. 2001 uh, with process where you transfer dyes with heat on the fabric. There's some um, screen printed fabric that I did in my very first screen printing class, mm-hmm. sophomore year of college. You know, it's it's like all of these materials that you haul around for 10, 20 years like they reach an expiration, you know, they're starting to quote, go bad. I don't want to throw them out. I don't like to be wasteful. The earth has like so much junk and trash in it. So what do you do with it? Well, let me see if I can rip it apart, you know, crochet it into these lumpy textures, sew those lumpy textures onto this other piece of fabric, embroider it, bead it, you know, so it's, it's just making something out of nothing in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm working in a very scrappy sense of nothing is precious. I don't spend hundreds of dollars on my materials. You know, I love oil painting, but sometimes like those tubes of oil paint are sure. expensive. It's crazy. But all of these fabrics are essentially rags when I work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, a good friend of mine once said, you know, like when I was, trying to resolve a piece he was like oh you know you're just gonna sew another rag on and it will continue for six more months you know (laughs) like it just at the time when I was doing the really organic shapes they would get bigger and bigger and um, grow Um, but there is something about working with materials that have history like they have a life already in them they're not fabrics that I buy fresh from like the crafts or the Joanne fabrics so if they're thrifted fabrics, if they're clothing I used to wear, if it's from old artwork, I think this piece that you pointed out between here and there even has fabric I worked on in high school. You know, it's when I look at that, it is the history, the memory and the history. Um, it's how do you make something out of this? Uh, I think that memory and that history gives it another level of that intimacy that, you know, that human aspect that we were talking about it. If I just bought clean new fabric off of the shelf mm-hmm. Joanne fabric it wouldn't have the same feeling that it does when I use fabric from 10 20 30 years ago I'm curious you know like are there any kind of like things that you kind of look at in terms of thinking about your forms you know there's some of them like obviously the the shapes themselves and some of the the works can be really kind of organic but then there's also like some of them that start to kind of look patterned or quilted or geometric or, you know, re- like there's a repetition or something. But mm-hmm. are you kind of pulling from anything or is it literally just then the history of the other works kind of informing that process? I think the works inform each other a lot of times. I'm greatly inspired a lot lately just from changing light and atmospheric, like visual like fog or clouds and things outside, that really ephemeral quality of being, I always say within the natural world, but just being in the world and being aware with all of your senses being present. So it's like trying to capture some sort of ephemerality 
in this piece that takes you know months of labor to produce that is always something that really kind of intrigues me so something that kind of piques the senses in that same way if I was watching a sunset or you know a a storm move in where it's just every moment is changing and there's those colors and the textures and the energy of all the light so color and light important to me i'm curious especially though you know considering that you know you've got this show going on like how do you prepare for that then when you're kind of like I mean, taking so long to make things, is that something where then it's literally going to have to be something that's just like a show of the things that you've been doing? Or do you have enough time to kind of really tailor it to a specific experience or show like that? Yeah, everything in the show that just opened this past week ago, Friday, was created in the past year. Okay. I mean, of course, it incorporates some fabrics from years ago, but every piece, I think there might be 20 to 22 pieces was made in the past year. Before this show, many exhibits that I would be a part of, with the exception of thesis shows at the end of graduate school or undergraduate school, were just works that I had made already. Like I could never really prepare enough. I didn't have enough time to prepare ahead of time. For this show, I had a year to think of it and to make work for it. and. I did change like some of my processes knowing the time. Like I didn't change ideas or color or light or all of that imagery, but I definitely said at a certain point, I know I love doing this knotted stitch, but this knotted stitch takes forever. And so there's only a few pieces in the current show that have that particular knotted stitch that used to be like in every piece. Mm-hmm. And so I moved to what is still labor intensive, but a quicker um, straight stitch because I can fill the space with that a little bit faster. Some of the pieces are encrusted with beads, but not every piece. You know, there were definite conscious decisions of how do I fill this gallery space? And there were moments of like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. But in the end, I really, I reached a point where I was happy because we could edit out one to two pieces of that year's body of work. And that's where I wanted to be in the Mm -hmm. sense of you don't have to put everything up on the walls. It's like there's plenty of space. But yeah, I, I, I had to change the way I worked knowing that I had this deadline. I think I tend to be a little bit more circuitous and um, indulgent when I don't have deadlines and, you know, could have probably encrusted many more stitches and beads onto some of these things. I was working strategically. And so I would get each piece to a point where I didn't hate it, where there was something there. And I would set it aside and start another piece. And I would come back to those pieces. But if it was at an acceptable point, mm-hmm. I would pause because I knew, okay, that can hang on the wall. Now let me work on something else. And I found actually surprisingly, because this has been a crazy year, but I found that in the end, I did have enough time. But I think if I had worked that one piece like to the end before moving on to start the others, I might have gotten a little bit sidetracked or behind in my schedule but bringing them all up around the same time was helpful for me i'm sure it's got to be pretty awesome too to just see them all in the same place you know and see the see them kind of resonate again it's interesting i started listening to you i I started thinking almost like if you're making a mixtape or something like that of like 
I don't know, this is going to be the best cross representation of what I did at this time. Yeah. Um, because so much of your work, I'm, I'm assuming like these are not pieces that you're like, oh, I'm going to cut these up next month. No, these are not pieces like that. I mean, they reach their completion. But I love that idea of mixtape and representation of this time. Mm-hmm. You know, I titled the show Weaving Small Nets to Capture Life because it it was very much thinking about that. How do you capture these moments of life? Small nets, because life is huge and impossible <laughs> to capture. Sure. And so like, just this image in my mind of this person running around with these little tiny nets trying to capture this big impossible thing. Again, that like, ephemeral feeling that you can't hold on to like how do you hold on to something that will like last you know forever it's just it goes so quickly um and so having that that mixtape aspect like this is a year's worth of work this is my year these are all the emotions and good and bad you know stuff that was happening and it's like it's all packed into that gallery space now and yeah it feels good to have this i feel like i have a fresh start now <laughs> Clean slate and again you know like we were talking you know a little earlier like you know this opportunity came you know through the pandemic and we were kind of all very isolated you know and i know so many artists obviously that had shows scheduled that got rescheduled or closed off and you know i feel like at this point it's it's almost at least back to like pretty 100% normal in terms of people coming out to things or, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of getting back to that. What's that been like? Just because I would imagine, you know, it's, you know, entirely different even maybe from the the previous, the whole year of kind of anticipation leading up to this. I know that there's been shows and and things like that for for a year or so, but I don't know. It's got to be a little bit different when it's a big, a big show like this. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, a big show is a big transitional year. I moved, you know, back east again from being out west for two years. It was coming out of the pandemic, coming out of this couple years of being really isolated in a small remote western town to being back in western North Carolina where I'm surrounded by artists and craftspeople. And there was just a lot of changes and transitions. And I think having this show to work on and work towards was really helpful in this time like it was a weight hanging over me and a Mm -hmm. stress at times but it was really helpful to have something to pour all of that energy into to ground me in some way I don't know how to describe it other than like having this show at this particular time in my life and being able to have everything I created in this past year of transition in that show has been pretty important to me Makes makes total sense, like a big weight, you know, or like you just finished a race or something, yeah. um, <laughs> you know. Um, I'm curious, you know, one thing that we haven't talked much about, and again, I know this is a loaded question relative to when we start thinking about viewers, but like, are there kind of particular takeaways that you want a viewer to get from your work other than, you know, just kind of appreciating the like formal explorations and, you know, maybe what they might dream up or, because I would imagine just based on what we've been talking about, you're not you don't have like some very, very specific, like you have to recycle or I don't know, some kind of message, you know? Yeah. Nothing like that. I think for me in recent years, it's been more about this idea of slow seeing and how do we get people to slow down and be present in the world and to experience things. And so like these pieces slow me down as I make them, um, the labor in them. But I think also 
hopefully they slow viewers down like in the sense that there's so many they're a slow lead there's so many little surprises and curiosities that you can find in the piece if you take your time to stare at it long enough um, and some of them might be tactile and some of them might be visual there's little optical illusions or tricks of the eye or how i play with positive and negative space or different colors or materialities flip-flopping all of that I hope encourages the viewers to kind of slow down and be more present and engage with what they're seeing. I think about like poetry and how it's it's language, but it's not this literal direct communication. Mm -hmm. It's it's like the whole idea of a poem is just to be. That experience of words kind of rubbing one against one another, the rhythms and the feelings. Because that's kind of how I think of the paintings in a lot of way. It's it's like there's different opposites and contrasts. There's um, textures and smooth. There's the actual material. There's the painted material. Like all of these different things are rubbing against one another. There's multiple meanings and there's different things that people can take away. But the ultimate thing is just for this piece to be and to exist on its own in in the same way that a poem just exists i, I think that totally makes sense um you know because it's, it's a visceral thing yeah no absolutely well and that's yeah. a perfect point to kind of think about i mean like we've been you know for a chunk of time you know isolated like we've been talking about not really being able to see art you know so to kind of also be able to kind of see it i think we have a hopefully like a new appreciation for seeing things and in, in life and you know, especially mm-hmm. with these kind of pieces, I would imagine, well, just like for as as when I'm looking at them, but certainly in 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 person, I'm sure that you're finding these little nuances of something that you notice by kind of going back for a second or third look. And to me, that that's the part that seems really exciting about seeing a room of these is that you start noticing these little qualities kind of mm-hmm. echoed somewhere else or transformed somewhere else, mm-hmm. and kind of noticing these things that we kind of take for granted, which is I think kind of what art in some ways is, is noticing those things that get missed, I guess. Well, and I think there's some art that just the meaning or the communication is there, you know, like exactly how it's meant to be. And then others take a little bit longer. And these are definitely filled with those, what I call slow pleasures. It's like either a material transition or it's some tension between the two different shapes or, you know, multiple shapes. And it's all about those just sensory pleasures of um, mm-hmm. not hitting you over the head with like, this is a figure in a landscape or this is a, you know, sure. it's, it's not narrative in that way. It's more like a poem in the sense of there's multiple emotions and meanings and things kind of rolling around in this one contained image. Absolutely. So again, just, just remind everybody. So how long is this up that people can check it out? Where can they check it out at and all that good sure. stuff? Um, the show is up through December 23rd, and it's at Tracy Morgan Gallery in Asheville, North Carolina. Awesome. Um, yeah. And you can go to tracymorgangallery.com and find all of the images there. And I'm assuming then, you know, like based on our conversation, Instagram is where people should go to check out most of your stuff. Obviously, you can certainly list your website and, and all that, but let everybody know where they can follow along and, and stay up to date. Sure. I have a website, erinecastellon.com. It doesn't have any of this new work on it yet, but hopefully soon. 
And then if they want to see current and uh, new works in progress, they can follow on Instagram at Aaron E. Castellan underscore studio. Yeah. And I hope people follow again. It's always one of those fun things to kind of see process a lot more, I think, honestly, through Instagram. I mean, not not every artist does that, you know, kind of like we were talking about. Maybe some people are like very concerned about pro- professionalism and having this <laughs> this really clean kind of thing. But there's such a cool aspect of kind of learning more about artists and what their life is like. And, you know, again, I think you get a, a, an experience of that kind of reviewing people's, you know, just what they post, you know, in terms of yeah. finished work and, you know, it could be a walk or a photograph or. <laughs> and I think this past year, I definitely retreated a lot from that because mm-hmm. I had this show, this deadline and a lot of transitions. And I was just really wanting to focus on uh, reality and what was in front of me and not putting a lot of it out there and, now that the show is up, I'm starting to share a lot of the completed work so people can see what I've been up to this past year. But before this year, I was showing a lot of process. So you can kind of scroll back and see sure. different process shots and things that were happening. I think just the the quantity of like this entire body of work. Before I would show process shots of individual pieces getting worked on. And here it was just like everything all at once. And I needed this (laughs) mental, emotional space away from social media to put all the energy into the studio. Sure, sure. Slowly crawling back out from under the rock and sharing some of that. Yeah, well, again, I I hope people check out, you know, both the exhibition and certainly be sure to follow along. Um, You know, it's been really fun, you know, learning more about all of your processes and, and the way that you think about your work. So, again, thanks Thanks for spending the time to to talk about it with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks once again to Erin for joining me. Be sure to check out her exhibition, Weaving Small Nets to Capture Life, that runs through December 23rd. That's at Tracy Morgan Gallery in Asheville, North Carolina. So again, check that exhibition out. You can also find her work on her website, erincastellan.com. And of course, be sure to follow, say hello on Instagram at erincastellan underscore studio. If you're a professional artist interested in appearing on Studio Break or exhibiting with Studio Break Gallery, we've got a new competition open, once again, to all professional artists. Our juror this year is Jason Franz of Manifest, and of course, that's Manifest Gallery, Drawing Center, and Artist Residency, so super excited to have him on board. If you want details on how to apply to the competition, just go to studiobreak.com, look under the competition page, and you'll see you just submit a small fee. You send an email with a link to your website slash portfolio and Instagram handle, and you are done. Once again, we'll be giving away five spots on Studio Break, as well as one artist who will be exhibiting their work in a solo exhibition at Studio Break Gallery in West Chicago, Illinois, as well as two artists who will be selected for a two-person exhibition. Obviously, if you have been listening for a while and you do not know, Studio Break just opened a gallery this past fall, so we're very excited to be hosting artists for exhibitions. And of course, if you want to be a part of it, please get those apps in. Competition, once again, is open to all professional working artists that could be emerging, mid-career, established, or outsider artists. Meet is really open-ended, so please get those apps in. I would note to students, please wait and apply to our student competition this coming spring. And of course, if you know any good artists that should be applying, please help spread the word. We'd really appreciate it. 
Of course, if you want to learn more about the artists on Studio Break, go to studiobreak.com. Check out our big archive of episodes. we got tons of artists there with their work, links to their websites. You can listen to the interviews right there on studiobreak.com or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Though I do love Spotify for that. They have a wonderful previewing system so you can see some of the images of the artists as you're scrolling through to check out interviews and catch up on ones that you might have missed out on. Music for today's episode is by Golden Shadow, which features myself, Ben Cohan, and Brett Beery. You can follow us on Instagram at Golden Shadow Band. We do have a link there for our EP that came out last April. Be sure to check out some of Ben's paintings on Instagram. That's Cohan Studio. You can check out some of Brett's albums through the link there for the Bandcamp on Instagram at Brett Beery. And of course, if you want to learn more about me or check out some of my work, you know where to go. You've been on Studio Break, so you can see my website is also incorporated into the podcast. So check out some of my paintings. And of course, be sure to follow. You can find me at David Linaway. Feel free to shoot a DM if you're interested in any work or you just want to say hello. Of course, you can also be sure to stay up to date with Studio Break and all the goings on there by following on Facebook. So be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break. And of course, be sure to say hello on Instagram, especially if you enjoyed any episodes or any artists at Studio underscore Break. And there it is, a new episode in the books. Really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. And of course, hope you're staying safe out there, making lots of great work. We'll talk to you real soon.